You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. received the uh, the gift that keeps on giving earlier this week, so I have my tea here for my voice to make sure that it lasts through the service. Um, I'm That's the only residual effect. I'm not sick otherwise, or I would not have been here. Um, and I appreciate all of you as well who do not come to church when you are sick. Um, mm-hmm. I know some of you listen better than others in that category. Um, but uh, we are starting off the holiday seasons. It's a wonderful time. Um, it's interesting that we often have to remind people, hey, you know, the, the season is about Jesus, right? Um, it's strange to me that we're celebrating Christmas, Christ Mass, a gathering for Christ. And we have to remind people that that's about Jesus. Um, but we should at this time take the time to do that, knowing we are going to have to remind people of this, knowing that people can get so caught up in the doing and what's going on and the activity and the fun and the goodies and the cookies and the families and the friends and the stuff. We get so caught up in it, it's easy to forget that it's about celebrating Christ. It's about celebrating the gift of his birth, the gift of him to all of humanity. And so I want to encourage you. I want to, I want to give you a free pass this year to slow down a little bit. Uh, I can recall as a child really, really enjoying the Christmas season. My mother decorated everything. Every, there would be Christmas music on the moment, we, um, the day after Thanksgiving. It was now Christmas. Um, and we would have lights and festivities and music and food and fun. And it just, I really enjoyed the season, found a lot of joy in it. But I found as an adult, it's been harder to hold on to that joy with the other pressures of what's going on between work and family and friends and expectations. And we want you, we want you to be there. We'd love to see you there. We want to invite you. 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 And that's great. <laughs> But there is only so much everyone can do with still maintaining their joy in this season. And so I want to give you a pass this year. You can tell everybody, my pastor told me I have a pass (laughs) to enjoy myself this season and to be able to slow down and just take time with family, to not worry about being on time sometimes. That's really hard for me to not do. But it's okay for everything to not be perfect. It's okay to just be with one another. It's okay to have this time together where we just enjoy each other's company. We're not worried about, is it decorated perfect? Is the food perfect? Are the gifts perfect? Is the this, that, and the other thing perfect? But to just enjoy being. Enjoy celebrating the gift of life that God has given us. Enjoy each other. Enjoy the community. Enjoy family. Enjoy that fellowship. And remember the reason why we're doing this. And so to make sure that you can enjoy that, 
I'm also going to encourage you to be moderate. Be moderate in everything we do, whether it be the cookies or the cakes or whatever sweet it might be. <laughs> whatever things that we like to indulge in during the Christmas season, to be moderate. Be good to your health as well as your sanity. To stay well together. So, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas season. Uh, we are going to be continuing into Acts 2. I'm going to be picking up right where Ty left off last week. He covered Acts 2, verses 1 through 21, and I will be finishing out the chapter this week. Uh, just as kind of a little bit of a recap, because I'm picking up right in the middle of Peter's sermon, so we kind of need to know what he was talking about before. So last week, we talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. Uh, the believers were speaking in tongues of many nations when the Holy Spirit descended upon the house and a rushing wind and flames of tongues of flame rested on everybody. They were speaking in the, the languages of all the nations of the people around them so that they can understand them. Um, and what we see in this is that um, God is uniting people. He's bringing people together. He's making it so that we can actually make connections and not cause divisions. Peter addresses the crowd and he quotes the prophet Joel about the last days. Talks about the spirit being poured out on all flesh, sons and daughters, old and young, slaves and free. He's breaking down barriers. He's removing the obstacles that get in the way for us. Those things still get in the way and for us today. And to realize that the Holy Spirit wants to unite us and not divide us talked about that there will be wonders in heavens, in the heavens, and signs on the earth before the end comes. And these wonders are terrifying things, earthquakes, wars, floods, famines, stars falling from the sky, the moon being turned to blood, terrifying things before the end. These are the precursors. These are the birth pangs. These are the warning signs of what's to come. And he end, the last verse of last week was, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's as he finishes quoting Joel. And so with that in mind, it really felt that that, that there needs to be the highlight of this week. And it really is the highlight of the rest of Peter's sermon that he's going to give, that salvation comes from God alone. It's a red thread throughout all of Scripture. It's a reminder to all of mankind that God is your only Savior. That there isn't any other God. There's only Him. And he has to remind them of that over and over and over and over again. It's just me up here. I'm the only one that can save you. Return to me. And it's the salvation for us both in the temporal, while we're here on this earth, and the eternal when we are ushered into the next one. And so when we look at the scriptures, we look at the Old Testament, or the, um, I'm blanking on the name, Torah, thank you. Um, I've got my other guys too. It's not just Matt. (laughs) 
There was a huge focus on the temporal, on the here and now. Save us from our enemies. Save us from our pain. Save us from our suffering. Save us from our lack. Save us from this plague. Save us from starvation. Save us, Lord, in the here and now. There's a huge focus on this. Now, in our age, I feel like there's a huge focus on save us into eternity. Save my soul, Lord, that I might have eternal life. And I think a big part of that shift has to do with we have so much. We don't have to, we haven't had to deal with enemies on our shores, really. We haven't had to deal with wars on our own soil or in our own backyard. We don't, we haven't really had to deal with famines and plagues and pestilence here. We haven't had to deal with a lot of those things. We live in the land of abundance. And so this shift has happened from the temper, temporal to the eternal. Now, there were a few during that time, and it really is a few, that did have an abundance. King David had an abundance. And so his mindset was able to shift from the here and now to, well, what's going to happen after all of this, God? And so they had a conceptualization of there is something after this life. When I die, I'm, I'm going somewhere. I'm not going to just go. And so they called this the grave and they refer to it as Sheol. Now you'll hear a lot in the New Testament, them referring to Hades instead of Sheol. That is because Greek does not have the word Sheol. It has their word for the underworld is Hades. And so it's not a direct translation. It's simply we must put a word here for this word that we don't have. Now, their version of the underworld is not the Hebrew version of the underworld. So when you read Hades in the New Testament, think Sheol. Think this, they are going to sleep. This despondent kind of nothing state. It's not lack of existence, but it's kind of a lack of awareness. It's just meh. That's the idea of it. It's where this idea of um, purgatory comes from. Purgatory is not Sheol. They're not the same, it's, but it's where it's derived from. I'm not promoting purgatory here. You can look that up on your own. Um, but this idea of just this nothing, you're in the grave, you're you're just asleep now. And it's just, it's not the worst thing you could possibly imagine, but it's not great either. It's not pleasure forevermore at the right hand of the Lord. It's not being with God into eternity. And so we actually see David cry out quite a lot about this. Lord, I'm confident that you will save me from even this. I'm confident that you will bring me to you, Lord, that I will still live. And salvation even from this. Because what we see is that there's firm belief that this is where everyone's going. Whether good or bad, everyone's going to the grave. Now, when the resurrection from the dead happens, then there's a split. And we can talk about that later. But for now, it's this idea that salvation is entirely about your life. It's about your life now, and it's about your life then. God is saving you into something and for something. It's not just one, and it's not just the other. And in order to truly have all the promises that God has for you, we need to understand that it's both. We're going to talk about that today as we continue through Acts 2. 
Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness and with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So there's three different messianic prophecies from and around David that are being talked about here. I'm not going to read them all, but I'm just going to tell you what they are. Psalm 16, 8 through 11, talking about not seeing corruption. Psalm 110, the whole thing, is talking about the exaltation of Jesus and his judgment upon the earth. And 2 Samuel 7, 10 through 16, is talking about that an eternal kingdom will be given to the offspring of David into the future. And so these are the prophecies that are talked about in the verses we just read and the verses we will read in a few moments. And they're all about the Messiah. They're all about someone they've been waiting for. And they've been waiting a really, really long time for the Messiah. They've been waiting since Genesis 3 for the Messiah. Out of Genesis 3:15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. This is God talking to the snake. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. They're waiting on the skull-crushing redeemer seed, the promised one that will bring us back into right relationship with God, who will bring us back into the garden, will bring back about heaven on earth again. We're waiting for you. And they thought this was going to be Cain. Cain was a bit of a disappointment. As were so many after him, great and mighty people that God raised up. They're always, is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one? And it continued to not be so. Waiting on their Messiah. And they, they received reminders from time to time from the prophets. It's still going to happen. God's timing is not your timing. It's still going to happen. There's one particular prophecy out of Daniel 7, which is almost as far away from Genesis 3 as you can get in the Old Testament. The Daniel 7 is in the Babylonian exile, Genesis 3 right after creation. In Daniel 7, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And in this time of waiting, in this time of longing, they've had a lot of time 
to conceive of what this Messiah will look like. And it is pretty well understood that the people of Jesus' time are assuming the Messiah is going to be a conquering hero. He's going to deliver us from all of our political woes. He's going to deliver us from Rome. He's going to bring an army. He's going to conquer and he's going to free Israel. That's what he's going to do. He's going to save us from all of our problems. And that's what Jesus did, just not in the way they expected him to do it. And what's really an interesting thing and a challenge for people is when something happens that we were expecting, but it doesn't happen the way that we expected it to, we tend to have a really hard time pivoting and accepting it for what it is. Because I was, but I thought we were going this way. Aren't we still going that way? And we, we tend not to get on board right away. And the people of Jesus' time were no exception. In fact, a lot of people, they, there was a few that were obviously believing Jesus was who he said he was. You have his apostles. But there was a lot of people that were just there for the food. <laughs> have you ever gone anywhere just for the food? You didn't really care what was going on. I'm, I'm hungry. They got, a good, they got good, a good spread. Fish and bread, come on. They're waiting on a Messiah. Jesus comes. You're not how I expected you to look. So you can't be the Messiah. That for us should be a big warning in all things when we are praying for something to happen and this isn't the way I expected it to look. Doesn't mean it's not God. This Jesus, God raised up. And of that we all are witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. So Peter is drawing to the crux of the issue here. This idea of, is Jesus actually the Messiah or not? And so if he's not the Messiah, if he's just a man, then he was either mad or he was a false prophet trying to lead people astray. Either way, if he is not the Messiah, then he's been spewing blasphemies for the last three years. And... You can read on your own, Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5. When someone rises up and tries to draw people away from worshiping God, they are to be executed. They are drawing people away from God. You are not to tolerate it. So the actions of the people would have been justified if he's just a guy. But if he's actually who he claims he is, if he's actually the Messiah then every single one of these people that agreed to what was going on here have pitted themselves as enemies against God and his servant. 
And these people, we, we talk about them being uneducated fishermen and whatnot. They're uneducated in the sense that they didn't go to collegiate level education. But the Jews actually really prized educating their children. Um, around this time, it would have been formalized. You would have started education around age six. You would have been taught in the Mikna and the Mishnah, which is the written and oral Torah. You would have been made really, really familiar with the scriptures. You, you wouldn't be at collegiate level, but you would be very familiar with what was going on. One of the passages of which would have been Isaiah 50, verses 4 through 11, and it would have probably started ringing some really strong bells with Peter's message and what they know of what just happened to Jesus. And it says this, the Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment." And it's that final verse that it's the promise to those that make themselves the enemy of the servant of the Lord. You shall lie down in torment. Have you ever made a mistake? <laughs> now, have you ever made a mistake, but you thought it was a really good choice beforehand? And then you're given the bad news that you made a terrible, terrible, terrible choice. And it's that feeling when your stomach just drops out below you. And it's that panic of, what on earth am I going to do now? That's the mood. That's the feeling I want you to have in this moment. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart Peter is letting them know that passage, that servant, those people, this is you. You made yourself an enemy of God. You crucified His chosen one. The promise is that you will get to lie down in torment. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? How do, what do we do now? You've revealed that truth to us. We've been cut to the heart. We believe what you say. 
What do we need to do now? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. salvation no matter where you've been no matter what you've done no matter what enemy of God you've made of yourself he has made a way for you to return it's such a wonderful amazing and beautiful gift Jesus himself says of himself for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Jesus didn't come to the world to bring further condemnation, to really just rub people's faces in the dirt some more and say, look how bad you are. He came to the world to make an opportunity for everyone to return to him. God is a good father. He wants his children to return. He wants his children to be a part of his household still. He doesn't want to have to punish them, but as a good father, he will but he has made this way so that we don't have to endure that. He has given humanity the opportunity to learn. He's given them the opportunity to realize the error of our ways and turn our hearts towards him once more. And so they're told to repent and be baptized. We're going to pause here a moment. We're going to talk about this because this is where Doctrinally, the church has historically got into some fights. Some difficult topics that we're not going to just pass on by. It would have been easy to, but I'm not going to. Now, repentance and baptism, that's what they're told immediately by Peter what to do when they're cut to the heart. Now, the issue doctrinally is do these things save you? That's the big question. Does repentance save you? Does baptism save you? Are they required for your salvation? That's where the divide comes from. Now, I've read through all the passages. I've read through all the arguments. I've done a lot of reading on this. I've spent the majority of my studying on this part of the talk this week. I don't want you to walk away with this being the only thing you hear this week. The topic this week is that salvation comes only from the Lord. And that's what I want you to walk away from this week. And when I'm talking about repentance and baptism, I want you to still walk away with the idea that salvation comes only from the Lord. 
This is talked about in several different instances through Scripture. We know that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he is God, then you will be saved. We know that people received salvation without being baptized, without any sort of acts of repentance, but simply turning their heart to Jesus. The thief on the cross is one of them. When he said, remember me, and Jesus said, we will dine together today in paradise. This idea there wasn't time or opportunity for either one of those things to happen. He couldn't go and turn around his life. He couldn't go be baptized in the Jordan. All he had was a plea to the Lord. And Jesus accepted it. Now, should you repent? Yes. You should turn from any wicked ways you've been walking in. You should follow wholeheartedly after God. Should you be baptized? Yes. Because Jesus said, be baptized in my name, in the Father's name, in the Holy Spirit's name. They are the first expectations in response to our salvation. Salvation itself is very specific in that it is a free gift of grace. Intended that way that no one may boast, that no act of man can claim, I played a part in this. It is all and utterly God. Our heart change afterwards will have behavioral expectations tied to it. If your heart is truly after God, your life will look different. If your heart is truly after God and you love him, you will obey him. This is what Jesus said to, to us, to me, to you, to everyone. If you love me, you will obey me. If our heart is now turned to God, we of course are going to go, okay, what do I need to do now, Lord? And he says, I've got a list. <laughs> but those things aren't what saved you. A lot of difficult passages to work around with that. I've read them all. If you want to talk with me about them afterwards, I'd be happy to do that. Not today. We'll have a lunch. It's going to be a long talk. <laughs> but to keep in mind that salvation comes only from the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as had any had, any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so here we have the birth of the early church. Now what's interesting in this, as Ty pointed out last week, people were coming from all nations and all places and everywhere. And a lot of these people, they don't live here. They don't live in Jerusalem. <clears throat> They're coming on a yearly pilgrimage here. 
and they're going to go back home and they're going to take this back to their homes. But for the ones that stayed, this is how they carried on in their lives. And it's how we have attempted to craft our community as a church, to follow after these patterns, to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to look at the things that Jesus said, look at the things that Scripture said, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship. There's some argument whether one of those is talking about the Lord's Supper or not. Regardless, the idea is people getting together and share a meal and to remember Christ together and prayers. They spent a lot of time praying together. A lot of time seeking the Lord for what to do, where to go, how do we do it? And they had all things in common. They helped those in need when the needs arrives, arose. That's a better word. And they did this day by day. And that last piece right there, I think, is the most challenging for us culturally, is that day by day. And I'd have you consider for a moment, can you imagine meeting together with believers every single day. Now, it might not look exactly like this, but it's gathering together day after day after day after day after day, and some of you are starting to have a slight panic attack and a nightmare in your seat right now, the idea of seeing people every day. But I wonder if part in that is it simply because of the culture and the way we set up our lives the pace at which we live and the pace of which we expect to go on between work and activity and all the things we feel we must do, is this getting in the way of us being able to actually slow and enjoy and receive? I mean, even the idea of having people in your homes, I know for most people that's actually fairly stressful because you have to clean the entire house, right? It, it must look that one day like you don't actually live there. I think about that every time we frantically clean the house before we have people over. We don't live like this. We're telling people a lie. <laughs> what if for a moment, for a season... We were so comfortable with each other and with being community and family and friends. We just invited people over. And we said, yeah, there's a bunch of toys everywhere. I have four children. <laughs> yeah, there are dishes in the sink. I have four children. <laughs> You're lucky I'm showered. <laughs> Could that potentially be how we shift our focus to I... I don't have to put on a show for the world. These are my friends. They already like me. Why can't we just enjoy the time together and leave the stress for someone else? Enjoy the company. Enjoy the season. Enjoy reflecting on the life we've been given. Has anybody watched the show The Chosen? Or... I think they've done a really good job. It's a little creative license there, but I think for the most part, they've done a really good job with it. There was one particular episode on the Sabbath that was in the first season, and it just, it gutted me. And how the deep appreciation for community and unity and togetherness the people had as they were willing to live at a different pace of life. And it's something we often severely lack in our culture. 
is willing to slow down and simply enjoy the life we've been given with the ones that are with us. And to realize that salvation isn't just about eternity. It's not just about what's going to happen after I die. It's also about what's going on right now. Jesus saved you in this life as well. In John 10, it says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go out, go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Do you feel right now that life is abundant? The way that God looks an abundant life? Full of time, full of friends, full of joy and laughter, taking each season as it comes. I'd like to encourage you as we move forward in this season to reflect on the salvation you've been given, the opportunity you've been given to be saved from the culture, be saved from this world, and to enjoy the life you have. To focus on how might I make it a little bit simpler so it can be a whole lot better. I'd like to end with a prayer the way Jesus instructed us to pray, reflecting on this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.